Testing, testing, one, two, three, 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 three. We're back, y'all, and we're back, y'all. We're blackity black, and we're back, y'all, on Backlit Cinema, the podcast. I'm your host, Zoe. That's Z-O or Z to the O, if you're cinema fans overseas. Taking a look back at the movies of yesteryears. It's the 77th episode. Thank you for downloading or streaming. We really appreciate it. The reason we started this show is to strengthen the bond between my son, Zach, and me. We watched movies that I loved when I was growing up in the 70s, 80s, and early 90s. And I'm going to tell you what Zach thought of those classic movies. And one movie that we just watched yesterday in particular. We bring you this show absolutely free. And we'd really appreciate it if you can support us by giving us a rating or review on your favorite podcast app. Finally, please follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok. I'll leave you the details in the show notes, and now I'll shout them out later on in this episode. So, uh, not nothing much to announce. Um, we got a compliment from Twitter about a week ago, and I meant to mention it last week, but I was totally discombobulated, and it slipped by. So, I'd like to take time to give a shout-out to Marion Beans, that's Mary Ann Beans, whose Twitter handle is Damn It Beans or at Damn It Beans. And she wrote, just checked out your podcast for today. Zoe sounds wonderful. Happy Juneteenth and Father's Day to you. And that's a very wonderful sentiment from at Damn It Beans. And I uh, left a link to her Twitter handle in the show notes. Uh, we connected because we both love Star Trek Strange New Worlds and we're both listening to uh, Open at Open Pike. That's the Twitter handle for the podcast, Open Pike Night. That's a wonderful podcast to accompany a great show. I'm truly enjoying that show. So now, that being said, let us continue to the movie we watched yesterday. Was it yesterday? I think I said yesterday earlier, but it was actually a couple of days ago from this recording. And that movie was Starship Troopers, and we're going to talk about it in the opening credits. So, we watched Starship Troopers. Now, a little bit about this great movie. In the year 2197, high school kids are encouraged to become citizens by joining the military. What they don't know is that they'll soon be engaged in full-scale war against the planet of alien insects. The fight, the fight is on to ensure the safety of humanity. And that was mostly written by Christopher Van Pelt via IMDb. This movie was released November 7th, 1997, produced by TriStar Pictures, Touchstone Pictures, and Big Bug Pictures. It grossed over $54 million in the U.S. and Canada and over $121 million on a $105 million budget. That's a $121 million worldwide on a $105 million budget. And it had mixed reviews. Now, here's the thing. Um, it's funny because it's true. <laughs> uh, it it It's basically what you would consider a bomb because of... Uh, you know, it didn't even make its budget back in the U.S. And it barely got over a couple of million dollars uh, over like 20 million dollars over uh, the reported budget overseas. And the reported budget doesn't normally account for marketing. So and that could easily be something somewhere around 20 million dollars, you no know, TV ads and posters and whatnot. So 
This is to say that this movie is technically a bomb, I believe. Or technically, is financially speaking. But to me, it's one of the greatest, most enjoyable times I had in the cinema when I watched it. And uh, it's and on the rewatch, it, it just uh, it re- reignited those feelings of, of joy and excitement when I watched it. So, um, and this is technically a little bit over what we usually do. Like, I usually try to stick to movies that were before Zach was born. But this movie was released, Zach was barely four months old so i'm i'm gonna say it counts <laughs> and and he's never seen this movie before either so this movie was starring casper van dyne as johnny rico he's been in alita battle angel sleepy hollow and tarzan and the lost city and a bunch of other projects and movies that you've not likely never heard of unfortunately he's been assigned to the uh direct video market denise richards as Carbon Ibanez. She's been in The World Is Not Enough, Wild Things, and Love Actually. Dina Mayer as Dizzy Flores. She's been in Johnny Mnemonic, Saw, and Star Trek Nemesis. Jake Boosie. He played Ace Levi. He's been in The Frighteners, Contact, and Home Fries. Neil Patrick Harris played Carl Jenkins. He's been in Gone Girl, the Matrix Resurrections, and one of my favorite references, Doogie Hauser, MD. That's the first time I've seen him, and I love that show. Clancy Brown as Sergeant Zim. Right, it's, it's, it's a little bit hard. It was harder to get that out than I realized it was going to be. But he plays, uh, Sar- see, there I go again, Sergeant Zim. There we go. I got it out. He's been in The Shawshank Redemption, A Nightmare on Elm Street that came out in 2010, and the SpongeBob movie, SpongeBob or uh, Sponge Out of Water. Um, also, he's uh, obviously he's a regular on SpongeBob SquarePants. He's one of the greatest character actors of our time. We also have Seth Gilliam. He played Sugar Watkins. He uh, he's been in. Did you hear about the Morgans? Courage under po- mm, Courage under fire and the popular show The Walking Dead. Patrick Muldoon played Xander Barcolo. Barcolo. See, I should practice these names before I come online. <laughs> and he's been in Arkansas, The Card Counter, and Dakota. Michael Ironside, another great character actor. He played Jean Ras Ras. Oh, see, mm, Raksek. Ras Ras Raznek. Ooh, oh my God, that name. They say it in a movie a lot, but for whatever reason, uh, I didn't practice this name either. either. either I, I'm, I'm stuck. I, I'm stuck, I say. Uh, let me try this again. Ras, ras, nope, nope, there it is. It's not coming out. It's not coming out. I'm looking at the letters and they're all bunched up together. There's, it's R-A-C-Z-A-K on some four. No, I, actually, I'm saying it wrong. It's R-A-S-Z-A-K and it's, that's hard. Raz, Razak, Razak, Razak. We're going with Razak. Jean Razak got it out, and he's been in Nobody, X Men First Class, and Terminator Salvation. Lastly, we have Rue McClanahan, and she played a smaller part, but I'd liked to. Uh, I wanted to include this because she plays a biology teacher, and she's most famous or most famous role that people always recognize her for is her uh long tenure on the golden girls and 
And I used to watch the Golden Girls too. And it, it just struck me as like, and I didn't realize it at the time that I saw the movie. And then when I was doing this project and putting on the actors, I was like, Rue McClanahan was in this movie? And she was. And she played the blind biology teacher. And, uh, and her character is obviously completely different from how she played in the Golden Girls. So, and she's also been in Mama's Family. So to continue, this movie was directed by Paul Verhoeven. here i go again with the names verheven i think it's verheven i I forgot to think about pronouncing his name so i'll hear the name but then i forget how it's pronounced it's weird it's weird how language works uh or it might be verhoven i'm gonna go with verhoven so and i like his well i like two of his movies i'm not sure if i like all of his movies but i like two of his movies it's this movie and robocop that i really liked he's obviously done a bunch of other movies for example he's done besides robocop he's also done this movie called black book he's done this movie called ellie he did the hollow man which i'm familiar with and uh it's one of the movies that inspired this podcast is total recall but yeah and he's always able to sneak in some commentary on the controls that we have on society in in his movies so that that's oh he also did showgirls i'm just now seeing so anyways I really enjoy many of his movies. This movie was written and directed by Edward Numier. Numier. Oh, goodness. I'm so horrible at these names. I ask for your forgiveness, my precious audience. Edward Numier and Robert A. Hyland. I got that one. <laughs> so Numier, his only other credit is Robocop, writing that movie and um as far as robert a highland he's his he has had several properties that have been uh made into movies but not recently i think this movie that we're talking about starship troopers was the most recent movie that was adapted from his works uh earlier movies that came out came out in the 1960s was the brain eaters Destination Moon and Project Moonbase. Curiously, one of his most, um, I don't know when it, what's the noted and like one of his most famous works is called Stranger in a Strange Land, and that has never been adopted into a movie. So that that would be interesting. Another one that he's done that's never been adapted is called Half Space Half Spacesuit Will Travel, and that looked like it it should be adapted but has never been. I, I've read a number of his books because one of the things I was asking myself was, what is the big deal about Robert A. Highland? So I, ha- I felt like I needed to read or listen to a bunch of his books to, to get the feel for what he's doing. And he's uh, an author of like very hard science fiction that, that, that uses as much of actual science as he possibly could. And at the same time, as you're reading it, you're learning about scientific concepts. And then um, he blends that with more the more fantastical fantastical aspect of science fiction. So um, it 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 is actually interesting reading his books. Uh, they kind of read more like textbooks than an actual narrative, but they're fun to read at the same time. They're like a fun textbook. Moving right along, the music was provided by Basil Polodorus. I'm I'm sure that's wrong. I'm sure that it's the wrong pronunciation. Because I know it's in a in, in a European name, and I, I forgive me for not checking. But anyways, uh, he's also done music for RoboCop, Conan the, the Destroyer, and 
Iron Eagle. He's actually uncredited for Iron Eagle. And at the same time, he's done a bunch of uh, European movie projects. I think that um, he's he's mostly in a in a European market, the the European uh, cinematic scene. And he was tasked to make the uh, the score for Starship Troopers because uh, Paul Verhoeven is also European. So you know they work together a lot. I guess I don't know. Anyway, moving right along. <laughs> That's it for the opening credits. Um, as usual, if you're enjoying the show, remember you can get t-shirts, hoodies, mugs, face masks, jerseys, and more at our website, backlickcinema.com slash shop. And you can check out the website from time to time, see if there's anything new on there. Also, we got uh, teespring.com and tpublic.com for some other choices that you might be interested in. In particular, the pint glasses that are only available at Teespring. And I might even throw in, uh, what you call it, um, the eBay, an eBay link to so that you can buy some junk off me. Maybe. Maybe I have something that you like. We'll, we'll see. Check the website for updates. Anyway, um, haven't really heard any stuffs, uh, any anything beyond what you've probably heard from other sources already. So we're going to continue moving right along. And we're going to hit our favorite parts. So, uh, to talk about our favorite parts of the movie, me and Zachary basically have the same favorite parts. So I'm going to run down those parts as, and at the same time, kind of give you a narrative of the movie. So like I uh, mentioned earlier in the previous segment, uh, the movie is in the future and it's about, um, and it's basically a different society than what we're currently living in. And it is a commentary on fascism or, or a military controlled society. And um, it's a commentary that is specific to both Heinland and Verhoeven. Heinlein, who wrote the book, and Verhoeven, who made the movie. So they, when you watch this movie, you have the the military costumes that are very similar to the Nazi military uniforms. Because and then they have the imagery, Nazi uh, symbolisms that have influenced the imagery or the icons in this movie, such as the the icons that represent the the military. They have like a bird like icon that is reminiscent of the Nazi eagle icon that goes on and on and how, and his commentary on how this is dangerous for basically the society to, uh, to have like a, a military mindset and to not have as many rights and freedoms as uh, other versions of society. So um, what it, uh, what I like about this movie is how it opened with a bang. It opened. The first thing that you see is, uh, it's kind of like a newsreel. So it kind of flips back and forth where you're actually part of the movie because you're in the audience and you're watching this newsreel the same way that the characters in this movie would watch newsreels. And so the newsreel will come up and basically encouraging people to join the military. And it has other facets of the news. And it's kind of like set up as a web browser. So you see that little arrow going and clicking on different subject matters that you're kind of participating in. 
So they have these newsreels throughout the movie, which I like. It's kind of similar to the way RoboCop was set up. And so in these newsreels, they have a, a commentary on the what's going on in the movie, and it helps to transition from one scene to the next or from one act to the next. So it opens up with the newsreel, trying to encourage people to join the military and how people are studying the insects. The, the insects apparently are, are known, but uh, we are not in active war with the insects. And um, in the newsreel, they're showing like young men, young women joining the military and how it's great. And the motivation for joining the military is so that you can be a citizen instead of merely a civilian. So in this society, there are two classes of people. There are civilians who um, have to apply to be, people who have to apply to be citizens. So unlike in most societies, you don't automatically get citizenship into the country that you're born in. Or uh, I, I guess it's a world government at this point. It's not exactly clear, but uh, I'm going to assume that it is. So you're not an actual citizen until you prove yourself you either you probably have to go through a bunch of applications and and tests so the same way that immigrants when they come to your country they have to put on an application in order to be a citizen of that country but in this version of the world you you are you are not automatically a citizen so they call you a civilian so you have no stakes in the government and it's basically harder to do everything so it's harder to get married it's harder to have a kid it's harder to get a job you have to be a citizen for those things to be easy for you in this newsreel they they have like young people joining the military and then they have like little kids joining the military so they have this like 13 year old in a, in a military uniform and his comrades are laughing at him for joining the military so young but it's crazy how <laughs> they're they're not ashamed to promote the military on kids and that's a commentary on our society when you look at all of our uh, entertainment how uh and you know to be fair i like these movies I, I like movies like top gun i like movies like top gun maverick which i still haven't seen yet we even though i know that they're actively trying to recruit everybody to join the military and um on an episode of top gun that i did uh a uh, couple of weeks ago i told i mentioned how how recruitment had jumped up for the Air Force after that movie was made. And the military actively assists movies that can be used to promote enrollment into the military. And uh, so, yes, it's, it's a, it's an act, it's an indoctrination video and their whole society is, is to promote indoctrination into the military so that they, the people can become citizens. And this is actually a commentary that Heinlein is making because he himself believes that people shouldn't just be born to uh, to be a citizen. He thinks that people should have to work for it. Like m most immigrants know more about being a citizen of whatever country that they're trying to join, that they're trying to be a citizen of, than the citizens of that country. Because if you think about it, for example, in the United States, you you know, you take a civics class, but you don't have to pass that civics class to be a citizen. You don't, there's no uh, requirement to be knowledgeable in civics to even run for office. You don't have to know anything about government. You don't have to know the different branches of government. You don't have to know the roles uh, that people make and have in government. You don't have to know the responsibilities of political leaders. You don't have to know anything and you can actually run for office. So 
it's in uh, Heinlein's mind, he thinks that you should prove yourself worthy of being a citizen before you get the benefits of whatever uh, society that you choose to be a part of. And not from birth. It shouldn't be guaranteed at birth. It, it should be worked for. So that's an interesting commentary from Heinlein. So uh, I'm not sure how it will work in this society because there, <laughs> there are people that uh, if if it was instituted in, in some countries, there, there are countries that would actively, uh, even for the people that are born there, they would actively work to prevent people from being citizens, even if they were born there. So they would not give them the resources to try to earn their citizenship, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So in this uh, society, the easiest way that you can get citizenship, should you survive, is to join the military. So you join the military for a minimum of, of two years of service. And you if you were able to get out of the military, then because the military can arbitrarily extend your enlistment, then you're automatically a citizen. You get free education. You you get uh, and you have an easier time having children uh, or choosing your place to live, to get married, to be a part of society. You can vote, et cetera, et cetera. Where, one of my laugh out loud moments is that on one of these newsreel videos, they have uh, they have this censor. They're censoring uh, what <laughs> some some of the content. So. Um, because it's you know this content is for home viewers. The funny thing is what they choose to censor. So in the usuals, they don't have any problem showing pieces of humans that are strewn about the battlefield. So in one of the early uh, video feeds that they have, they basically, from the camera's point of view, they show the what the infantry, what they call the mobile infantry, going to to war, going to battle against these giant insects. They're called arachnids, but they don't look like arachnids. I think they have four legs. They don't have eight legs, but they're the best designed aliens that I've seen in most of sci-fi. So they're they're giant insectoids and they're attacking their it's this is the main battle, uh the main battle component of the insectoids are called the arachnids and they come in there uh they're they're just they take a, a lot of ammo to to put down. It takes so much ammo to kill these things that it the infantry doesn't even look like they have they can carry enough ammo to destroy a wave of insects so we're seeing this on camera so they're showing all the soldiers being chopped up and cut in half and and killed by these insects and they have no problem showing this on earth on earth television but they will censor an alien killing a cow <laughs> so they showed the uh the, the um, I guess they captured one of the arachnids and and the arachnid is even bigger than the cow. So they showed this part where the arachnid is t attacking the cow. I, I guess to show the um, how powerful the arachnid is and it's censored. You can't see it because it's censored. And I keep every time they do a censored block, they uh, they black it out all the, all the little action and have the word censored on it. Every time I see that, I just laugh out loud because it's just, for some reason, I find it hilarious. Yeah, so you got the main characters of this uh, of this movie. You have Johnny Rico, you got Carmen. They're supposed to be love interests, but Carmen is just not that into Rico. Uh, you have Dizzy, who's really into Rico, but Rico is not that much into Dizzy. Then there's Jenkins. Jenkins is... Not really. Well, he's part of the trio 
of Rico and Carmen. So he's part of that trio. Dizzy is a little bit on the outside of that trio. He's, she's not in that particular in crowd, but they're all going on different paths. So Rico is going into the mobile infantry because he's not smart enough to do anything else. And he's not psychic to be part of any special divisions. Ibana is, is or Carmen, she is very intelligent. So she's accepted into what's called the fleet, uh, the space fleet, where she is actually going to be flying spaceships. And then Jenkins, he's a psychic. So, or he, he shows psychic poten- potential. So he's accepted into like the special division of the military. So they're actually taking three different paths, uh, three different paths. And Dizzy, because she's following Rico, because she's super in love with him, she chooses to go into mobile infantry and then finds the unit that he's in and, and joins that particular unit. So because they're in uh they're in the same unit, you have Dizzy and Rico are in a mobile infantry and um they have the basic training scene or the the basic training uh the first act is part is the basic training is part of the first act so <laughs> which is what I was trying to get out so th- that was all funny they, they had a lot of funny moments in the basic training sequence so that's where we meet sergeant zim he's their drill instructor and <laughs> just this whole his whole interaction with uh with the trainees is is just hilarious in one instance you have Private Levi asking uh, questions during practice. So one of the things they are practicing is how to handle a knife. They're practicing with these throwing knives and throwing at Mac targets. And Levi asks, you know, very interesting questions like, why are we practicing with these knives? Why do we have to be good at knives when we can just shoot them? We're just going to shoot the bugs anyway. Uh, we're fighting giant bugs. Why are we using knives? Why are we practicing? And then Sergeant Jim, Sergeant Zim, he halts the the practice, and he faces uh, Private Levi. He tells Pri- Private Levi to put his hand on a wall because Private Levi is standing by a wall. So Private Levi puts his open palm against the wall, and and then Sergeant Zim takes one of the throwing knives and throws it into his palm, and and he says, "Well, you can't shoot a gun if you don't have a hand." And then he cries out medic, which is a hilarious theme throughout this movie is crying out medic in, in the basic training phase because people are trying, uh, are constantly getting uh, accidentally hurt or hurt on purpose by Sergeant Zim um, in order to to teach a lesson. He'll like break a, a trainee's arm and then call out for the medic. So th- those are some funny parts. There's a famous uh, famous shower scene that they have in the movie where they it's all it's a co-ed shower scene so you have uh both men and women in the shower showering up and there's no like real sexual tension they're just jostling each other the same way anybody any group of people would jostle each other when they're fully clothed when when they're fully clothed so they're jostling each other totally naked taking a shower so that that's interesting um that they can do that and I remember when this movie was coming out, everybody's talking about it. It's like, oh, check out that shower scene. It's like everybody's just lathering up and taking a shower. And there's no like sexual in the, in the window while they're taking a shower. That's when you discover that uh and it like one of the recruits had joined the mobile inter- the mobile infantry so that she could it's easier to get a permit 
to have a child, right? So that was why she joined. Another person joined because they wanted to go to school. They wanted to go to Harvard, but they don't have enough money. They don't have the finances. So they decided to join the mobile infantry and the military would pay for it. It's kind of like what we have in the GI Bill in the United States. Other people gave various other reasons. The, the whole thing of them relaxed in the shower, it was just it was just amusing to me. Another great moment that had some potent uh, imagery was in the in basic training when um, Johnny Rico had uh, had an accident and caused one of the recruit one of the recruits to be killed. So this was a a decision whether he would remain in the mobile infantry in the training program or whether they were just going to kick him out. So you know he had a choice. So or they had a choice. His leaders had a choice. So they decided that he could be salvaged so they decided to give him i think they called it they called it administrative punishment so they basically strapped him to a, a whipping post and <laughs> sergeant sergeant zim came up and he gave him something to bite down on he says it helps i know right so sergeant zim has experienced this form of punishment so, uh, and this is where he gets 10 lashes by the whip. And it, what makes it interesting is that it's the the black drill sergeant that administers the whipping of this very white Johnny Rico. So um, that that was just a, a weird uh, thing to look at because it's not the image that you normally see in the movies and on television. So, and then it, it leads to a transition to what what's going on in another part of the movie. So as you as Johnny Rico is getting lashed um, on the whipping post with a whip, uh, you can hear the sergeant counting out the lashes and then um, the crack of the whip and Johnny screaming out in pain. And then the scene slowly fades and transitions to what Carmen is doing. And you can hear the last three or four lashes as the scene fully transitioned into what Carmen is on uh on her training exercise flying the shuttle very reckless seemingly recklessly and dangerously through uh this spaceport scene in a little small shuttlecraft but it just wants to illustrate how good she is at piloting ships so she's like a hotshot pilot uh showing off her skills and her scenes are interesting to show the contrast between the training that Johnny is going through and the training that she is going through it's very 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 relaxed it's not it's uh it's actually fun apparently it they don't face as much danger as someone in the mobile infantry so her training is much more relaxed we don't get to see the any other version of training at all so we don't get to see what Carl is going through we don't get to see what his psychic training or what his intelligence training pertains to we don't actually see jenkins again until near the the middle of or the beginning of the third act i believe so um they they transition not nothing not a whole lot happens in in her training sequence only showing off her how good she's uh gotten then this transitions to the first battle that we've seen in in the movie the fleet is uh what do you call it i'm well, actually, I'm skipping over a very important part. So after Johnny is uh, punished, he decides that, you know, maybe he's not built for this military life. So he is uh, he decides he's going to leave. And um, his friend Dizzy is trying to, you know, 
encourage him to stay, but he realized that, you know, he's he's a rich kid. He doesn't need this. He can go back to his parents and he can figure something out. And he's not built for the mobile infantry. And then uh the, the news breaks out that they're about to go to they're about to go to war. All these kids are in uniform and training. They start running to this uh the I guess this communication center. And this is where they learn that a giant meteorite um has struck Buenos Aires. This that's where all of Johnny Rico's family and friends live. So basically everybody, all of his 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 parents, his family, his friends, every everything that he's ever known is destroyed by this meteorite because the insect aliens have a way of throwing meteorites through space to hit the the planet Earth. And the the alien um area, the alien uh area of influence is in a solar system that's like halfway or more than halfway across the galaxy. So to be able to toss a meteorite across the galaxy and precisely hit the planet Earth is amazing markmanship. Not only that, but if this meteorite was traveling at relativistic speeds or, you know, that speeds lower than the speed of light, then they have had to have tossed this meteor, this rock, this meteor. They had to have tossed it like millions of years ago <laughs> in order for it to hit the planet Earth. But I... um. I don't think that happened. And then they have like the resource that the insects use to throw meteorites is that they have this dense asteroid field in their solar system that allows them to toss like practically endless amount of rocks to the planet Earth. So I'm not I don't think that this is what happened. I think what happened is that the aliens somehow know how to toss rocks into hyperspace or warp or whatever the FTL equivalent of of travel is in Starship Troopers. We know that ships go into warp in Starship Troopers, so I guess that's what the uh, the insects are doing. It's funny because nobody actually believes that the insects are intelligent, but somehow they managed to do this. So, and they and the humans of Earth know that the rock came from the aliens because it's from the alien. Uh, they tracked the the meteor from uh, the impact point to the alien solar system, so they strongly believe that the aliens had thrown the rock the insects have but nobody actually believed that the insects are intelligent so that's that's kind of where they have to be intelligent in order to throw a rock through space to hit earth even if they didn't do it in hyperspace it's still mad intelligent so anyways um and that's what prompts uh the earth to go to war to actually go to war i guess it was kind of a cold war at first but now it's actual war because the humans have been kidnapping these aliens for apparently decades because they use uh the alien the smaller alien insects that are about the size of uh oh man that's a how big are these things a a car wheel so the smaller versions of the insects are about as as big as a car wheel and they dissect these insects in science class in the same way as you would dissect uh, a frog or whatever except these are like giants and and um and this is to understand these aliens. So maybe the aliens don't like humans because the the humans have been steadily kidnapping insects for for decades. And um, the this is the scene with um, Rue McClanahan playing by the biology teacher and how she's talking about why it's important to understand the enemy. And uh, she's so uh, in every uh, I think I 
I'll mention this in the trivia, but every person that that's in the school teaching, they have they've served in the mobile infantry, so they have some deficiency about them, right? They they're missing legs or they're missing arms or they're blind or something like that. So something's wrong with them, right? <laughs> On some level. You don't come out of the military undamaged. Johnny Rico changes his mind. He wants back in the military. He gets back in, or they let him back in. And uh, well, that's that's another funny moment where he had signed this official paperwork that where he quits the military and he was about to go down the the walk of shame out of the training camp. And so when he tries to get back in, they're like, uh, "Well, we can't." You know, uh, it's basically Sergeant Zim uh, and his superior officer and and Rico, and they're like, "Well, we can't." legally let you back in because you already signed your paperwork and so that's when sergeant zim had picked because then rico's like you know they they destroyed buenos Aires, they destroyed everything i've known so that's when sergeant zim picks up that particular piece of paper and he said is your signature on this paper and rico says yes sir and then um <laughs> then the superior officer turns his back on sergeant zim and that's kind of like the, the signal because they've they must have done this a bunch of times. So Sergeant Zim rips the paper apart and he says, I don't see no signature. And and that's how he gets back in. And I just thought that was fun. So now we're going back to the battle on the planet. Uh, I forgot what it's called. We're the insects. And it's weird. This is the, the thing that really, really bugged me because they've had contacts with these insects. So it doesn't make any sense that what they do is that they send like a, a whole, like a couple of battalions of the mobile infantry these are the guys with the guns so the the ships the the fleet transport the mobile infantry to this planet where they know the bugs are at and just just drop them down on the planet it's like okay go kill all the bugs it's like that that is such a weird thing to do because they know these bugs they have on the on the um the tv uh news breaks they have these giant bugs like they should they know the size and, and they know how deadly these giant bugs are so it's weird that you would drop a couple of battalions on this planet with all these giant bugs and and just tell them to get go at it so that they're going at it they start just shooting these bugs like i said it takes a lot of bullets to put these bugs down and these bullets are like you uh i think there there's something like uh they're still effective even if you kill like 80% of their body. So you have to try to, um, you have to shoot for the nerve center to definitively definitively kill them. But the nerve center is located in, in such a tiny spot that, you know, it's, it's hard to aim for that while these bugs are like moving around. So, you know, really they're just shooting at the main part of their body and shooting their legs off. But it, it's hard. It's so hard. So <laughs> they're all these soldiers are just getting cut up and chopped up to pieces right so it's like they're and there's a, a a reporter that's embedded with these troops and normally you would have embedded reporters like near the rear the most rear part of the battle but this reporter are like right up in like the front front lines is like the the soldiers around him are shooting at these bugs and these and uh they have to call a retreat so he's retreating with these soldiers but it's at the same time He's trying to tell the stories, which is utterly ridiculous. And finally, uh, an insect like impales him with his, one of its appendices. And he's like being waved around in the air. He's screaming for help. But instead of helping, the cameraman is just filming this guy uh, that's being swung around and ripped apart by this giant insect. 
And then finally, the cameraman decides to try to run away, but then he gets uh, impaled and and killed by these insects. And so there's really nothing else, uh, nothing left. And then uh, Johnny Rico, he's trying to retreat and shoot at the bugs, and then he gets impaled in the leg. But then he is rescued, and the, almost everybody else is dead. And then it wanted the news breaks to show that like over a hundred thousand soldiers had died or mobile infantry 100,000 of the infantry has died in the first hour and then later on you learn it was more than 300,000 that had actually died in that small battle so it it was so crazy how they had uh they, they were so ill prepared but that that was the, it was it was kind of annoying and uh I guess it was kind of showing the the hubris of the military to try to confront the insects this way. So uh, the next battle tactic is to bomb the insects first and then send in the mobile infantry to do a cleanup operation, which is kind of what they should have did the first time. But they did. <laughs> they did. They uh they failed to. Uh, another thing that I found amusing is that they borrowed a lot of elements from other sci-fi properties and incorporated them into this movie. So one of the things I mentioned was the warp drive that they have. The other thing that they have is the uh, the back to tank. So um, Rico is rescued, like I mentioned, and then he's put into what is effectively a back to tank that is a device that's used in Star Wars. So they put him in this fluid and then, but well, I'm not even sure how these things work, but in um, Starship Troopers, he's in the fluid. His body is totally submerged, and then while he's in the fluid, they uh, there's a like a, a surgery robot arm that is actually repairing his muscles and his skin. So he's since he was only impaled and his leg wasn't completely severed off, there's a medical device that can repair that damage and so that he can heal. But it's obvious that if it if any body parts get completely chopped off, then that, that body part is gone and you're not getting it back. But you will it will be replaced by a robot appendage appendage. So you'll get like a metal arm or metal leg or something of that nature. So one of these people is that uh Rico gets assigned to a new unit. And this unit is led by uh Ratzek, Lieutenant Ratzek. So the the name that I had a hard time pronouncing earlier. So <laughs> Uh, Lieutenant Ratzak is actually um, Rico's civic teacher. So Rico um, is, so now Rico learns that his uh, his civic teacher has apparently rejoined or re-enlisted into the, or I forgot what it's called because officers don't enlist. What they what do they do? Recommissioned because, <laughs> because Ratzak is a lieutenant. So he recommissioned into the mobile infantry and now he's leading his, his own group. And he, one of the things that I liked about this is the script and uh, and how the actors truly sell the script. So they're patrolling this planet. This is after one of the planets get bombed and they, the troops are on the on the move trying to clean up the straggler insects. And then they you you find a new type of insect. It's basically a winged arachnid. So this winged arachnid comes out. He grabs one of the soldiers and takes them like to, to this high cliff because they're in a valley. Rats, the Lieutenant Ratsnick, Ratsek, Ratchek, maybe it's Ratchek. So <laughs> Lieutenant Ratchek, he he asked for uh, one of the weapons that happens to be a happen uh, a giant scope. So the weapons can be used as sniper rifles. I guess they have that effective range, but uh, not all of the weapons have this type of scope. 
that can be used effectively as a as for sniping faraway objects. So he grabs one of the weapons that happens to function as a sniper rifle, and he uh, aims at the insect with the with the dude with the soldier or infantryman, and then he takes aim and he kills the infantryman. Because he was he wasn't trying to kill the insect because as far as he was concerned, the infantryman was lost. The infantryman was impaled through its body. So he, he wasn't going to survive. So he kills the infantryman so that he didn't have to suffer. And he turns to his troops and he said, I expect you to do the same for me. So I thought that that's just fantastic. I, I absolutely love that about the movie. Is the dialogue is is just it's just fun. It's just fun dialogue. Um is I think it's definitely meant to be fun on purpose. Speaking of dialogues, one of my other favorite lines is Ratchex. He says, this is for all you new people. Everyone works. Nobody quits. If you don't do your job, I'll kill you myself. Do you get me? Sir, yes, sir. So I really love that. I I think I had that on my profile. uh, It might still be there. I haven't checked it in a while. So that's another thing. Do you get me is like the, the military way of saying um do you understand or do you comprehend and i just love that that was really a part of they had like their own language in this movie how they communicated or their own like subculture it it was it was a way of expressing the military subculture in the context of the movie there was another line that i really like so there is a on the same part of the movie where they do discover a whole bunch of arachnid insects so it's not they thought that it was uh, that this planet was cleared. Like after the bombing, they thought they had gotten all of the soldier insects, but there's a giant group of soldier insects that the one of the battalions had run into and they call for help. So they go around and they start, uh, the troop, Rat, Ratchek's groups goes around to assist and they start shooting insects. And what, when Rico joins this group, he he talks to uh, one of the soldiers and uh, he he asked, "Do you have a bug problem, ma'am?" And I thought that was super funny. It's funny in the context of this movie. I like the way the, this movie plays with dialogue. It's not all good. It's not all. It's not all golden. I grant you that. But when when it shines, it shines really brightly. So they finish this battle. Rico turns out to be like the hero of this battle. And I can't remember what happened. Did they retreat, or did they stay on a planet, or do they discover something else and they have to investigate something like that? But like the overall story on this part, it was it was really interesting. So basically, the the insects had actually set a trap for people. At this time, they suspect that there's uh, what they call a brain bug on this planet, where a brain blood a brain bug that's calling the shots. So apparently, it's not the not all of the insects are smart, but there are certain super smart insects that are directing the rest of the bug population, which is why they're able to throw meteorites through space and why they're able to target spaceships in the atmosphere around their planet and why they're able to um, do this type of things that they do that they seem to be planned events and they're not random. So they find the space and uh, they defend the base against the bugs that this giant uh, like horde of bugs like that come out of nowhere that are apparently been hiding underground so um and then you know they get this is where dizzy is killed which i was kind of shocked that dizzy got killed because her and uh rico had this kind of love affair that they were going through where it's unrequited love so (laughs) dizzy loves rico but rico does not love dizzy but 
he they he likes her as a friend, but there she's at least able to consummate her love with Rico. But you know, he's still not uh he he he's pining for um his past girlfriend, Carmen, who kind of broke up with him because she wanted to she didn't want it like the original plan was for the three of them to join the military, spend two years in the military and then get out. You know, they, they're joining for the lulls, as we probably say today, and then and then get out the military and then join up and continue their lives. But with this destruction of their city and with Carmen really loving being in in the fleet, she decides that she wants to stay in the military and that won't allow her and Rico to stay together. So she breaks up with them in a Dear Johnny letter. So... <laughs> So this opens the door for Dizzy. And so that's why, you know, Rico doesn't really love Dizzy. He likes her as a friend, but doesn't really love her. But at any rate, um, so Dizzy is killed and um and during this this operation where they try to escape. And so this is where uh they finally meet up with um Jenkins again. So Carl Jenkins, their friend from high school. So this is where they um he explains to them that it was actually they were using Rico's unit to test their theory about bug intelligence. So they sent them on the rock to see if they would get attacked and everything went as Jenkins had thought that they would or his unit had thought that they would. Now because of this they know that there's some kind of this confirms their theory of the brain bug. We haven't seen that bug yet at this point. One of the things that I really liked about the movie, they go through the effort of make of fleshing out an actual story behind all of the commentary on, I guess, the military, a, a commentary on society. They actually put uh, a, a, movie, a story around the movie. And so I kind of like this. So they, they test out the bug's um, intelligence. The bug confirms their intelligence. So now they want to put a, another operation to try to capture the the brain bug when carl offers or carl jenkins offers this i think he's a colonel at this point when he offers this mission to johnny's unit johnny replies haven't you heard that's what we're good for <laughs> right that's what the mobile infantry is good for meaning that you know the the mobile infantry is good for dying and he's a little raw at this moment because also besides dizzy dying uh he had to kill Lieutenant Ratchet, because he was good to his word. He, he was serious. When he killed that soldier that had been captured by the insect, he killed the soldier to end the soldier's suffering. So during their escape, he gets uh, mauled by a bug we don't see as a giant bug. We don't see the, the bug at first. But he, he falls into this like sand pit and uh, he's screaming. And then when they pull, uh, they, they try to rescue the lieutenant, but like half of his body is gone now. So you know, through his dying breath, he's like, you know what, to, he's talking to Rico because Rico's one of the men rescuing him. So he says, you know what to do, Rico, you know what to do. <laughs> and so Rico uh, shoots his superior officer to stop him from stop him from suffering. And so, um, so you know, he's a little raw at this point having to shoot his, uh, his teacher and superior officer you know imagine having to being having to shoot your biology uh your civics teacher it's not it wasn't a fun moment for him and uh one of the things that they have is uh one of the lines that i liked if in the context of, of this movie um when he's upset he says fleet does the flying mi does the dying so fleet the 
the people who fly around because they have a easy have an easier time. It is perceived that they have an easier time than the mobile infantry, and I guess most of the time they do. Uh, so one of the things that that happens is that uh, the the fleet gets kind of busted up, and and they they don't have as a good time anymore. It, <laughs> so uh, I think that there are a lot more parts, but I would, I'm just gonna touch on one last thing. Um, so there's a scene where the fleet is around this um, the, the insect planet. So one of the things that bugged me was that, you know, you're in space. You can spread out. You don't have any, like, borders to prevent you from spreading out as much as you need to, um, you know, for, you know, for convenience sake or for space sake. But for some reason, this fleet is kind of bunched together in one part of the orbit of this planet. And even on screen, it looks like, wow, these all of these spaceships are really close together. And it's to their detriment because they have these uh, bugs that are shooting this plasma out of their asses into space, into orbit. And that first fleet thought that these plasma bursts were both light, meaning that there wasn't they weren't shooting a bunch of plasma out of their butts. Just, you know, every once in a while they'll shoot some plasma up and the ships can avoid these sporadic shots of plasma. And they also thought that these were, uh, it would be random. So they thought there was, it's like light and random burst of plasma energy that are capable of crippling their ships. And then they realized that these were targeted shots. And so these ships are getting hit more and more often. So the captain of, Carmen ship was like these aren't light or random and she tries to do evasive maneuver but she has nowhere to maneuver because all of the ships are bunched up together for no good reason so because the ships are all bunched up together you know she's crashing into other ships trying to escape and then um her ship actually gets hit by one of these uh plasma bursts and it it's so powerful that it cuts the ship in half so that that's that's a lot it's it's a lot so they they have to escape so they actually her and her, uh, I guess, the, her pilot partner from from her ship, they, they find a, an escape shuttle or an escape slide or whatever these things are called. And they were able to escape the ship and they land on a planet, but then they land on the ground and they're captured by the arachnids who uh, take them, both of them, to the brain bug. So they're the first to see the brain bug. So at the same time, you have Johnny and his mobile infantry. They're also looking for the brain bugs, and uh, they <laughs> they eventually uh, capture Carmen. Oh, were they able to rescue Carmen? And they are able to capture or another version. Another group is able to capture the brain bug, and that that's basically the end of the movie. Yeah, it's this movie was was a great time. It was just a great time at the movie theater. Have a great time sharing it with Zachary and if you haven't seen it I would just encourage you to watch this movie I didn't even get through all of my favorite parts because the podcast is already too long but I just wanted to get out as much as I could so let us transition to the trivia that I picked up from IMDB all right now for the trivia um also there is a lot of trivia on this movie that I picked up and I, I probably used half of the trivia that I had found. I, I really like like sci-fi and action movies because they tend to have a lot of behind the scenes stuff going on. So let's start with this. In 
In a 2016 interview, Casper Van Dyne revealed in an interview about a funny incident when he was picking up his two daughters from school. I went by the line at school to pick up my kids. You know, you drive up to the school and when you get there, there are six to ten, there are six, ten to eight year old boys hanging out with my daughters. I pull up in the line and the boys go, Johnny Rico, why didn't you tell us your dad was Johnny Rico? And I said, what are you boys doing watching Starship Troopers? And they said, our dad made us watch it with them. Then my daughters get in the car and my 10 year old says, dad, were you really naked in Starship Troopers? And I said, yeah. And she said, how could you do that to me? Then my eight year old says, wait, like naked, naked. And I said, yep. And she said, oh my God, my life is ruined. That was the longest three-minute ride home I have had in my life. Director Paul Vohoven and stars Dina Meyer and Casper Van Dyne confirmed that Verhoeven and cinematographer Jos Canado shot the co-ed shower scene in the nude themselves on a dare from Meyer. On the day of the shoot, Verhoeven had asked the cast to do a little fashion show without fashion so they could get comfortable being naked. When the cast was reluctant to disrobe, Verhoeven asked them what the big deal was, to which Meyer responded, Paul, if it's no big deal, why don't you do it? Quite unexpectedly, Verhoeven got undressed, as well as Vacano, who had been raised in a nudity camp. After an initial sock, Casper Van Dyme yelled, Oh God, Dina, why? And a good laugh from the cast, the scene was filmed without problems. In a 2014 interview with Empire Magazine, director Paul Verhoeven said of the shower scene, Americans get more upset by by nudity than ultraviolence. I am constantly amazed about that. I mean, I haven't seen any sex scenes in American films that were anything other than completely boring. A bare breast is more difficult to get through the censors than a body riddled with bullets. Now, ain't that the truth? A miniature Millennium Falcon can be seen on the backside of one of the Starship bridges. Neil Patrick Harris was often called Doogie Himmler whenever he wore the military intelligence uniform as it bore a resemblance to the SS uniform. The name is a joke of after Harris TV series Doogie Howser, M.D. When Rico Carmen and Carl meet with the recruiting officer after pledging, the officer shakes his hand, his prosthetic hand, with Rico. The recruiting officer has no legs. Robert David Howe, who plays the recruiting officer, had had both legs amputated after a car crash in 1978. Three years later, Hall appeared in CSI crime scene investigation in 2000 as a medical examiner, Dr. Al Roberts Robbins, wearing prosthetic legs, using a crush, using a crutch and walking with a limp. Director Paul Verhoeven admits to have never finished the novel, claiming he read through the first few chapters and and became both bored and depressed, calling it a very right-wing book in Empire Magazine. He then told screenwriter Edward Neumeyer to tell him the rest. Verhoeven and Neumeyer then decided that while both the novel and its author Robert A. Highland strongly supported a regime led by the military elite. They would turn the concept around and satirize it, making the film a hyperbole of 
of commentary of contemporary American politics and culture. Diehard Heinlein fans declared that the filmmakers have completely misinterpreted Heinlein's nature and intentions. They say that he was a libertarian who opposed conscription and militarism. He depicted the oligarchy by ex-military citizenry government in the book because it was an example of something that has never been done in real life. He was not advocating it, but was merely speculating that such a system could exist without collapsing. Casper Van Dyne was often asked why a blonde-haired, blue-eyed actor would play the Argentinian Juan Rico from the book. He suggested that his character was the descendant of exiled Germans as Argentina was famously a hiding place for German war criminals after World War II. However, in the movie, Juan was renamed Johnny, and his family and friends all look North Americans who speak English instead of Spanish. It seems more like in the movie, the Federation encompasses both North and South America and the families from North America who could afford it all all relocated to the tropic areas like Argentina. And here's where I'm probably going to read this later on, but here's where I'll say in the book, I think Johnny Rico is actually Filipino. And what's interesting, especially about writing versus other forms of of uh, entertainment is that they actually hide this throughout the entire book. Like they tell you that his name is Juan Rico and how he's, I think actually, I think in the book, they don't even tell you his first name. I can't remember, but they go throughout the entire book. And it's like, you have an image of your head about what this guy might look like, but he's never described in the book. And only at the very end of the book that does the book tell you, Oh yeah, my name is Juan Rico and I'm from the Philippines. So now you're, now you have an entirely different image of what, Juan Rico is supposed to look like as opposed to what you imagine him to be when you first started reading, reading the book. And that's what books do sometimes. And I find that fascinating. So in a movie, Johnny Rico and some of the other characters, nationalities have been significantly altered from the original novel. In Robert A. Highland's novel, the story focuses on the first person narrative of Juan Johnny Rico, the son of wealthy Filipino family who enlist in the to the mobile infantry, a highly futuristic military unit equipped with powered armor and an arsenal of advanced weaponry. In the movie, instead of an elite fighting force equipped with powered suits, there are a conventional army armed with conventional weapons, but apparently without armored vehicles, artillery, most heavy weapons, and other vital equipment. The powered suits would not feature in the series until Starship, Starship Troopers 3, Marauders. It came out in 20, 2008, and that went directly to video, like all the other Starship Troopers uh, series. During filming, Jake Boosie, who played Ace, suffered heat stroke after working all day in 120-degree desert sun. This stopped production for a week. When he recovered, several large holes were cut in his uniform so he could cool off. Many other cast members' suits had this modification as well. In order to prevent further cases, on average, there were 25 people per day treated for heat stroke during filming, which, of course, you want to wear like as light clothing as possible. But also, drink water, people. It's summertime now. You want to drink as much water as possible. And uh, that was at least what they told us all the time when we were in the military, in the desert, in, in the Middle East, drink water. That's, that cures everything, almost literally. 
The cow that was killed by the arachnid in the media break commercial was completely digital, but was still censored. A bonus video feature from the DVD shows what occurred behind the censoring bar. An FX tech used a small hose to spray the walls with fake blood. It was shot in cuts. The real cow was placed on this mark for the establishing shot. Then the still shot of the cow was used with computer-generated images for the effect where the bug appears to eat the cow. Most of the arachnids appearing in the film were CGI, but a few life-size mechanical models were built. However, during the battle scenes, actors wound up looking at director Paul Verhoeven himself, who would stand in front of them and jump and scream at them, even chase them with a broom to elicit their reactions, attempting to generate some of the fearsomeness of a 12-foot space ant. Clancy Brown affectionately described the director as a nutbag given to jumping up and down with a bullhorn going, I'm a big fucking bug. I'll kill you. I loved him. <laughs> he was so much fun. Also, I want to say that the special effects in this movie hold up extremely well. Even the, the CGI ants or the CGI arachnids, they, they really do hold up in uh, the special effects sequences. So um, I really appreciate that about this movie. In the director commentary on the Blu-ray DVD, Paul Verhoeven stated showing the mutilated bodies on FedNet was to encourage more people to join the Federation. The cow being censored was due to PETA animal supporters and the experiment on the big brain was censored as it was classified information. So what he's referring to is on the, um, the FedNet is that the, the news net that I was referring to that kind of draws the audience in that was showing you one of the lines they used when you saw the news set will was they would tell you like a story and then they would ask, would you like to know more? And which is where you would click on, on to learn more about whatever they were talking about. So the, um, the cow being censored, like, as he said, was due to PETA and the, uh, the other one was, the big brain. So when they captured the brain bug, one of the last thing they showed was the brain bug being experimented on. So you have one of the scientists with this giant needle and it was going to stick it into the brain bug's brain. But they censored that part because it's military intelligence is a military secret. So they, they don't want to share it with the civilians. In a 2014 interview on the Adam Carolla show in 2013, Michael Ironside, who read the book as a youth, said... He asked director Paul Verhoeven, who grew up in, a, in the Nazi-occupied Netherlands, why are you doing this right-wing fascist movie? Verhoeven replied, if I tell the world that a right-wing fascist way of doing things doesn't work, then no one will listen to me. So I'm going to make a perfect fascist world. Everyone is beautiful. Everyone is shiny. Everyone has big guns and fancy ships. But it's only good for killing fucking bugs. Verhoeven states his intentions clearly. The movie's message is that war makes fascists of us all. He evoked Nazi Germany's fashion, iconography, and propaganda because he saw it as a natural evolution of the post-World War II United States. I've heard this film nicknamed All Quiet on the Final Frontier, he said. Screenwriter Edward Neumeyer broadly concurs although he sees the film as a satire on the human history rather than solely on the United States. 
Michael Ironside was Casper Van Dyne's mentor on the film. As his character, mentor, and also in real life, behind the scenes on and on the set. And I still hear his voice in everything when I'm acting to this day. The same goes with Clancy Brown. Both of them, they influence me more than they know. Van Dyne really punched Patrick Molden in the face, giving him a bloody lip during the fight scene at Ticonderoga Space Station. Patrick Molden stated in an interview that Casper hits hard. In the timeline sequence during the jump ball game, Dina Meyer actually smacked Van Dyne in the side of the head to get his attention, and his response was genuine. More ammunition was used in this film than in any previous movie, according to the veteran weapons co- co- uh, excuse me, coordinator Robert Rock Galati. The crew expanded over 300,000 blank rounds during the course of the film a personal record at that time. Nearly every military uniform has World War II German military and SS paramilitary uniform references. The flag of the Federation has a symbol which closely resembles the Imperial Eagle from World War II Germany, which I allotted, allot, uh, alerted to, allotted to. Why do I say that? Which I mentioned earlier. Casper <laughs> Van Dyne gets stopped and asked about his role in the film all the time. I get tweeted about it. I just did a funny show called Crunch Time that's going to come out. And the whole thing is basically I was playing the perfect version of myself. But a lot of the quotes that I was doing from the Starship Troopers, I've also done a noobs where I played a version of me with quotes from Starship Troopers again. And then there's a lot of movies where I've done quotes from Starship Troopers over and over again because this movie just... It's part of who I am. My daughter sent me a meme recently where it's like, desire to know more. It's a headshot of me from Starship Troopers. I put that on my profile image and everybody says, hey, I'm glad you're embracing your meme. I'm like, I don't know what it, I don't know what that means, but I'm doing it. And then he laughs. Most of the adults in in the authority positions in the movie are scared in some way, scarred, I'm sorry. They're scarred in some way. Ratchet, Michael Ironside, lacks an arm. The biology teacher has scars on her face and is blind. And the recruiting sergeant has lost both legs. Director Paul Verhoeven included them as a symbol of the belligerent history of the Federation. Do You Want to Live Forever? is is attributed to Marine Sergeant Major Dan Daly in World War II Battle Billy Wood. He is one of the two Marines who have received the Medal of Honor twice. So that was another line that I, I forgot to include. So it's mentioned, I think, twice in a movie, first by Ratchex, and with basically to get his troops into battle. This is his battle cry. Come along, you apes. You want to live forever? I, I, I love that. Moving right along. The base that houses the Fleet Academy is named Tereshkova after Russian cosmonaut Valentina Tereshkova, the first woman in space. The bug planet scene, Clendathu, Tango, Urilla, and Planet P 
were filmed in the Badlands of Hell's Half Acre in Natrona County, Wyoming. During filming in the park, it was nearly 110 degrees. Verhoeven and Neumeyer had an unprecedented freedom in making the movie because management at Sony kept changing all the time. By the time the studio executives finally saw footage, Verhoeven had already compiled a rough cut of the movie. Critical reaction to the film at the time tended toward the negative, especially the Washington Post. Savage the film for its perceived glorification of Nazi symbolism and totalitarian regimes. Analysts noted that after a strong $22 million opening weekend, the poor critical reception was most likely responsible for the 50% drop in revenue during the film's first week in cinemas. However, the first signs of critical reappraisal came in 2001 when parallels were noted between the war on terror in Afghanistan and the film's patrolling Marines on the bug planet. In 2012, Slant Magazine ranked the film number 20 on its list of 100 best films of the 1990s. In 2017, The Guardian claimed that this is no longer science fiction and has become reality. And in 2020, David Roth of The New Yorker even praised the film as a visionary as it eerily predicted the past decades of decadence, decay, rising institutional violence, and unrestricted bad taste. So that is what we got for trivia. I hope you learned something. I certainly did. And now we're going to transition to what the critics thought. So the critics, as you heard, it was savage when the film first opened, but when you when you watch the film, you can kind of see the parallels of, you know, the it was the war on terror, the war in Afghanistan. You can see the parallels of, of what the media was doing, especially after the attack on the Twin Towers. You can see how the media had shifted and um, and how American attitudes had shifted. It, it did feel like uh, more militarized, more jingoistic. And, and there's been jingoistic like media and film for a long time, especially in that period. So, um, and then how they changed their tunes, uh, you know, when it's, it's like the film was ahead of its time. So right now, well, you know, the, the latest, when I checked the uh, Rotten Tomato score, the critic score sits at 66%, the audience score is at 70%, and on IMDb reviews, it's at 7.3 out of 10. Karina Montgomery from Cinerina, she wrote, it's fun and empty, but so much less vacuous than Men in Black. I'm not exactly sure what that means. Um, less vac, I guess is, uh, it's much more going on in that movie than in than Men in Black, I guess that's what she's saying. Cynthia Fuchs, oh, I'm saying it wrong. I think it's Fuchs. Fuchs, Fuchs, Fuchs. Fuchs, Ooh, I should have practiced this thing before I started. Cynthia Fuchs from Philadelphia City Paper, she wrote, It's not rocket science, but its cynicism is simultaneously smart, smarmy and smart, exacting a cost for any pleasure you may have taken in its nasty-ass violence. So I I don't know. I, I just, I, I liked it all. I liked smarminess. I like the fact that it, I like the smartness and I, and I like the, and I also got pleasure out of the violence. So I, 
I, I like all of the all of the movie, all of the parts of the movie. Madeline Williams from Cinematter wrote, "The entertainment you get from watching Starship Troopers is similar to the pleasure felt from a large zap from a bug zapper, and is about as as and about as deep." Uh, um, no, I I disagree. It's I I think that uh, the cynicism that this movie uses to tell a story. I think that that's one of the entertaining aspects of the movie and um you know as as far as like the uh, the rest of her comment I, I i can only disagree with it that's all i can do david and butterworth from i think that's rec.arts.movies.reviews wrote as a brainless bubblegum movie it's an exhilarating adrenaline rush yep that is correct Bryant Fraser from Bryant Fraser's Deep Focus wrote, Starship Troopers has its moments, and it's certainly not stupid, but there are only so many places the movie can go without tipping its hand, and Verhoeven deems or seems dead set against allowing his film to consciously acknowledge its own subtext. That might be true. And finally, we have Kenneth Turan from Los Angeles Time. A jaw-dropping experience so rigorously one-dimensional and free from even the pretense of intelligence, it's hard not to be astonished and even mesmerized by what is on the screen. And now I, I don't, I don't believe in that because I think this this film is mad intelligent. It's it's got something to say and it says it boldly. And finally, Starship Troopers, as of this recording, is available on HBO Max. That's it for today, and when we return to form. We will finally tackle the granddaddy of superhero cinema, Superman, also on HBO Max. Follow us on Twitter at Backlick Cinema or on Facebook or Instagram at Backlick Cinema Podcast for updates. And now we're posting videos on TikTok, as I've been saying over and over again. Not many videos, but yeah, we got a couple of videos on there. And you can check out, uh, you can find that at Backlick Cinema don't forget you can contact us with any questions comments or suggestions at fanmail at backlickcinema.com one last time if you like the show then please help us grow to do this you, su- you can subscribe to the show rate us or write a review on spotify podchaser.com apple podcast or your favorite podcast app believe me it matters be safe share a movie from yesteryear with your family hug your loved ones and if you're gonna be anything be outstanding Thank you.